the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you very much. Hello, welcome. Five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m. here on your basic Tuesday, the uh, 28th day of November. And... uh, once again, a belated Merry Christmas to I know I said that to you prior to Christmas, but it's just nice to keep the feeling going, right? And soon we'll be sharing a very happy new year with you, but we'll, uh, we've got a few more days before we get around to that. Jam-packed program for you today, and you know, normally they say, uh, let's save the best for last. Well, today we're moving best up to the front. Um, before we meet our first guest tonight, let me set a little perspective for you. Harry S. Truman, former senator from Missouri, vice president under FDR until, of course, FDR's passing in April of 45. Then, of course, Harry Truman became president. He served out the balance of Roosevelt's term, then was reelected to office. And um, during the course of his tenure, two terms in office, there was a sign that famously sat on the president's desk in the Oval Office that read, The buck stops here. And I think at many levels that was an acknowledgement of the sense of responsibility and accountability that he had to the people of the United States. Sadly, that mentality of accountability back to the people of the United States not only has been sorely missing in that office for a very long time, but one might argue almost universally across the board. We have seen, a perhaps a better term, a growing army of bureaucrats taking over Washington, D.C. And those branches that are not only charged with the responsibility of keeping each other in check, but making sure that they're doing, in fact, their own distinctive jobs, uniquely the executive, judicial, and legislative branch, well, they seem to be abdicating more and more of their authority and responsibility to others. It's almost as if we've created an environment where, oh, yes, Congress still passes laws, except when the judicial branch says it can't. And then once the laws get passed, they leave the rulemaking, the minutia, up to Unaccountable, unelected individuals all across Washington, D.C. And that that cadre, that army, has been growing at an alarming rate. You want something that will set your – put you back on your heels? In um, in 1933, when FDR took office – I use that as a reference point since we mentioned him a moment ago – there were 165 – White House employees, 165, that was in 1933. 
the current administration has 560. Trump administration had 418. Richard Nixon so far has the record 632 full-time employees. But that's only those that physically, directly work in and for the White House. Then you look for those that work for the executive branch overall and the alphabet soup of agencies within the purveyance of the executive branch, (laughs) you get into numbers that are staggering. We're talking about not hundreds, not thousands, but an army, tens of thousands of people, unelected, unresponsive, unaccountable. And yet, basically, basically behind the helm of the ship. Uh, Now, you might have a difficult time getting Congress to agree to that perspective or the judicial branch. Certainly the executive branch would never say anybody else is driving the ship but the president. Um, Yeah, the truth sadly is much, uh, much different than that. We're going to unveil what's going on, kind of pull back the curtain, as it were, and where at this time of years we wind up the year and head into the uh, the beginning of the new year, most most talk show hosts are looking for easy content. Not my first guest tonight. Uh, he works as hard at the end of December as he does at the beginning of January and throughout the year to bring you great insight, great content, as he does hosting the longest-running libertarian talk show in the nation. He is Bob Zadek. His program, The Bob Zadek Show, heard locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 AM, The Answer, our sister station, by the way. He is by trade a CPA lawyer, one of the most sharpest minds when it comes to the United States Constitution and history thereof that I am aware of. He is a prolific writer and joins us now to talk a bit about what's going on in this so-called shadow government And uh, while a lot of it might seem on the surface, Bob, to be uh, filled with intrigue, mystery, and uh, uh, (laughs) the kind of stuff of which dime store um, novels are made of, uh, in fact, maybe the the truth is far more mundane than that, but the results thereof, certainly not mundane at all. Bob Zadek, good to have you with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me to be on the show, Craig. I sure appreciate it. Um, And that was a wonderful introduction to... uh, this evening's discussion. I think you teed up the issue personally. And just to add a little um, gloss on what you had said, um, and I would say, uh, as I see it, our conversation tonight is going to be, could be subtitled, the way books have a main title and then a subtitle. Well, you did the main title. To me, the subtitle, so our friends and listeners out there can follow the discussion, the subtitle is the more democracy we have the less democracy we have mm. and here's what i mean because that sentence as a standalone doesn't have a lot of content to it but let me explain and i'm going to explain by focusing on um a news figure who the world loves to dislike and i would say probably with good cause. I'm going to use as uh, the opening, my opening comment, Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci is on the news every night. He's on every network. He is, um, 
He is interviewed by networks irrespective of their political orientation. And he's on the news to tell us whether he has directed, because he really does direct us, um, to wear a mask, get vaccinated, stay home, don't talk to friends, don't eat in the restaurant, uh, don't buy or sell anything. He makes the decision. In short, he clearly has an awful lot of power. And whatever power he doesn't have, then that same power is held by uh, local health departments, by whoever's wearing the white coat standing next to a governor or a mayor as the governor with a, a straight, unsmiling face tells the public what he has in store for them. There's always somebody with a white coat, uh, maybe even a stethoscope sticking out of the pocket, just to add a little bit more of an authoritarian look to it all. My point is this. Who voted for these people? We live in a democracy. Those people who have a profound effect upon our lives ought to have that power because we bestowed it upon them. After all, this is a democracy. We vote for our, dare I say, rulers. We vote for our rulers. But we didn't vote for any of these people who could tell us whether we could talk to our friends or eat in the restaurants. And the point is, because they are administrative officials, none of whom were elected. And the point is, it's even more sinister than that. So here we are angry at Fauci or the uh, uh, San Francisco County Health Commissioner, or whatever that title may be. We're angry at the San Francisco Health Commissioner. Well, who do we vote out of office if we're angry at them, if we think they're doing a crummy job? Who do we vote out of office? Duh. There's nobody, because that health official was there when the prior mayor is there, is there when the current mayor is there, and will be there when the next mayor is there. And so you can't vote these people out of office. Well, what the heck good is it to live in a democracy if we do not have direct power over those people who have power over us. It's a fake democracy. It's a democracy enough to appease us so that we think we're doing something important by voting, but we're not because the people who have the power are in the administrative part of government, the fourth part of government, if you will, not the executive, not the legislative, not the judicial. They are out there in the shadows, protected by civil servants to a civil service to a large degree, although not the senior executives, but kind of immune to the ballot box. So what has happened is the legislature, who is given power directly from us, the voters, they have abdicated their oversight, and they have, by legislation, conveyed power to the bureaucrats. They have said, we create the position of health commissioner, and we empower the health commissioner to do the following, declare states of emergency and stuff like that, which means the legislature says, we pass laws, yes, but the effect of our laws is to give all of our power 
to somebody else who doesn't have to run for re-election. So when people get angry at Fauci, I, the legislature, don't get voted out of office. That's the that's what gets my dander up, and that's what I hope we will focus our attention on. How those people who are answerable to voters, whether it's the president in the executive branch, or mayors and governors, or the legislature, they have hidden behind unelected bureaucrats. So the bureaucrats and the heat and these people who are answerable to the voters don't get criticized. And that and this show should cry out that the people who we elect stand up, do what we hired them to do, and they should take the heat or be responsible and claim the credit if the bureaucrats do a crummy job or a good job. Well, actually, Bob, when you think about it, it's a pretty convenient little arrangement. I mean, Congress says, we pass the laws, but then they pass on the responsibility of writing the rules behind those laws to this group of bureaucrats that, as you aptly point out, are not appointed to office with any sense of accountability. They're not elected. We pay them. We certainly live under their rules. They oftentimes, not universally, but oftentimes enjoy pretty significant union protections. And yet, to whom are they really accountable? Well, the answer is no one. And it conveniently insulates, maybe a better word, you're mentioning Anthony Fauci, maybe the better word is inoculates Congress from having any direct Accountability, that sense of the buck stopping here, that sign is gone off the desk of Congress. And as you point out, and this is what ought to be troubling to every American listening to this program right now, without regard, by the way, to your political party, political suasion, whether you're liberal, Democrat, Democrat, uh, Republican, whatever, it ought to trouble you that all of a sudden... Well, I shouldn't say over sudden. Over time, there has been sort of this frog in the kettle experience here that while the founding fathers envisioned three branches of government co-equal that would also be responsible for keeping an eye and keeping each other in check between the executive, the judicial and the legislative branch. Now, all of a sudden, there is this fourth branch of government, unaccountable, unelected, that has in many respects, if not equal, even greater power over our daily lives called the administrative branch of government. But by the way, don't tear yourself up searching through the Constitution, trying to find details about the system of checks and balances related to the administrative branch because it's not there. Bob Zadek is with us tonight, nationally syndicated talk show host, best-selling author, CPA, lawyer, constitutional expert. We're talking about the fourth branch of government, and how it is in many respects the greatest threat to American democracy, should we wake up and realize it. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation with Bob Zadek as this edition of Lifeline continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, our conversation resumes with syndicated talk show host, best-selling author Bob Zadek. More information, by the way, about Bob's show here in the Bay Area online at bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. This topic and many others, of course, he dives into with opinion makers, news experts every single week, and it really kind of helps to uh, unfold the layers of the onion, so to speak, to give you a glance as to, well, what's really going on in our country today, and most importantly, why you should be concerned. It'd be easy to take the, the shortcut, the, the simple way out, and talk about something, eh, you know, non-pulsed, uh, non-important. But this is a critical issue because at many levels, it impacts every one of our day-to-day lives. And, and Bob, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, if you had the time machine that you could jump into and go back and, and have a sit-down with our founding fathers, how appalled do you think they would be to realize that all of a sudden uh, th- their baby has grown, grown a, a, a fourth head, meaning that all of a sudden there is, uh, ipso facto, a default fourth branch of the government not accountable, certainly, to the voters that has as much power as the United States Congress, some might even argue even the judicial branch and the executive mm-hmm. branch virtually combined? Well, it's even worse. You say as much power. It's even worse than that. Um, James Madison observed that uh, any, uh, that he said, when one institution uh, carries on all of the functions of making the laws, enforcing the laws, and and adjudicating disputes under the laws when one institution has all three powers that is to use madison's words the very definition of tyranny in other words if one organization gets to make laws interpret the laws they make and then resolve disputes about those laws that's tyrannical the founders remember they created three separate co-equal branches of government judicial executive and legislative and they and it was believed that ambition would neutralize ambition that since men are generally ambitious men being humans but if, any human being, but the founders, of course, lived in a different era, and they would use that word collectively. But if um, if you could turn ambition against ambition, that would neutralize one against the other. So the theory was the legislative branch would jealously guard their prerogatives and make sure that the executive and the judicial did not encroach. The same with the judicial or the executive branch. So they wanted separate branches of government. Now, if you take any of the powerful federal agencies, most of the federal agencies have their own judges within the agency. And if you have a dispute with EPA, the Environmental Protection Administration, or uh, any one of a myriad of alphabet agencies, you can't just go into court and sue them to have the, the judicial branch, the courts, 
resolve this your dispute with the administrative branch. You have to litigate in what's called an administrative uh, tribunal within the administrative agency. So if you have a dispute with the SEC, you're going to litigate with an SEC judge on the payroll of the SEC deciding it. And the same in tax court. If you have a dispute with the IRS, you go to tax court, which means so you have the the administrative agency passes a regulation. They then interpret what the regulation means, and they then decide disputes, and they enforce their regulation. Madison would say the very definition of tyranny. And so you ask how the founders would have felt about it. I believe I have answered your question with reference to my paraphrasing a very well-known and famous quotation from James Madison. So in a word, appalled. <laughs> appalled. <laughs> yeah. appalled. So, so, and what's happened is, remember, we started the show with unaccountability. And what's... And, the dispute in the 2020 election, let me remind you, was about the operation of democracy. The progressives, specifically the Democrats in general, were complaining that voting practices in Georgia and in other states were unsmall d democratic. They were diminishing the power, the right of people to vote. They were worried about the functioning of democracy. Well, why are people so enraged, if at all, about the functioning of democracy writ large, and yet they tolerate a system where so much federal governmental power resides in undemocratic branches, unelected branches, who are not answerable to the people. Um, if you, If you want a society that is governed by the principles of democracy, one ought to be appalled that we have so many people with so much power over our lives who are, in all respects, unaccountable. We might as well live in a total autocracy, uh, a total kingdom, because we have no control over our rulers, that is, the rulers who reside in the administrative branch. Is a lot of this, Bob, directly attributable to the notion that Congress, in a respect, in a sense, doesn't want to do all the hard work? I mean, you know, passing the broader laws is one thing. But now having to go in and engage in the specific rulemaking, okay, here's the law, how do we apply it, how does it function, Uh, what are all of the the smaller moving parts, what's the minutia of this all? And and when suddenly that is being delegated to employees that are accountable to no one, who oftentimes, as I mentioned before, even enjoy certain levels of union protection, which essentially insulates them from any level of accountability, that now, under the cover of 
administrating law or under the cover of doing good things like uh, protecting the environment, for example, they are allowed to come in and essentially do the hard work that Congress should be doing and basically making up the rules as they go along. I mean, is that is that essentially what's happening here? That, that's totally what's happening. They get to, as I said, they get to write their own rules. Congress passes very broad statutes like we should clean the water, and they leave the how to do it to the administrative branch, to the EPA, uh, to the uh, Army Corps of Engineers, and the like, to figure out how to achieve the congressional result of clean water or clean air. Congress, and Congress doesn't exercise much oversight because it's dreadful, it's boring. They would rather go back to the voters and say, I just voted for legislation. We are going to have clean water in 10 years. Reelect me. And that statement is true. But Congress has no idea how to get there, nor do they pay attention to the cost. And if it's done in a ways that result in private property being confiscated, well, they never voted for the confiscation of private property. They just voted for clean water, and they can't be yelled at. So the fact is, we have allowed a system to grow and grow and grow, much like, and with the same degree of threat, much like a cancer. And it's it just grows and grows and grows because the voting population just doesn't realize it. And they have other things to do than dwell in the minutia of government. Boy, and it, it, is, it is our hope to bring, have people think about this even a little bit and, and recognize. And the manner in which, they the, pardon the interruption, Bob, the manner in which they are able to effectively escape accountability here uh, ought to frighten every one of us. I mean, let's talk about the EPA for a second, then we'll go into a break. So the the member of Congress says, you know, we have an issue with water pollution. We don't want to drink dirty water. We want to be drinking healthy water. We need to clean up the water. We're going to pass a bill. We're going to create something called the Environmental Protection Agency that will deal with all of this. They create another alphabet soup uh, group. They charge them with the responsibility of carrying out the duty of cleaning the water. They never intended to get involved in any of the minutiae, any of the details. So when the farmer loses his property because the EPA comes in and says, there was standing water on your property that you failed to remove, and that's a violation of the rules that we made, and therefore we are going to confiscate your property... While that might have never been the intent of the law passed by Congress, it becomes the end result. And then they get the satisfaction of saying, well, we didn't mean for that to happen. So they essentially escape any level of responsibility or accountability. And for the poor farmer, well, it's a shame. But after all, it's part of the greater good. And suddenly, laws are being adjudicated in a fashion by not the appropriate branch of government, but by this shadow branch of government that effectively answers to no one and gets to do whatever it wants and hides under the cover of just doing the job that they were tasked with doing. Pretty alarming. That's the sort of the circumstances we find ourselves in. So does all of this pretend to 
the idea of the deep state influencing? Is, is, is this sort of the, the cloak and dagger nemesis, this shadowy, nameless, faceless figure called the deep state that's behind the scenes pulling all the strings? We'll broach that question to Bob Zadek when we come back after a timeout. With us today, syndicated talk show host, best-selling author, constitutional expert, CPA, and lawyer Bob Zadek. He hosts the Bob Zadek Show, which can be heard Sunday mornings at 8 a.m., dealing with these very kind of important pressing issues that uh, may not necessarily be capturing headline news every day, but is of value, some might even argue vital interest, to all of us because it affects all of our lives in bigger, broader, and deeper way than perhaps we ever recognized on the surface. I mean, how many of us ever stop to think, why does it seem as if there's four branches of government when the Constitution only delineates three? Well, that would be because there is a fourth branch of government, unappointed, unelected, and unaccountable. We'll take a time out. Information on the web at bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-E-D-E-K.com. And we'll be back with more. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. Bob Zadek with us tonight, host of the Bob Zadek Show, locally heard Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. Accountability is the word that (laughs) these days... Uh, doesn't get used very often. When the Founding Fathers envisioned the creation of our government and how it would function, they saw that accountability would be critically important, that ultimately government would always be accountable to the people, that power didn't flow from the top down but rather from the bottom up, and that uniquely the three branches of government would essentially provide that balance of power and would keep an eye on each other, would help keep each other accountable. But over the last probably 80 years or so, there's been this, maybe 90 years, the slow creep of a fourth branch of government, not at all mentioned inside of the United States Constitution, not at all accountable to the other branches, Now, some might argue, well, we appoint them, we hire them, we fire them. But are they directly accountable to the people? Does the power from the administrative, quote-unquote, branch flow to it from the bottom? Is it all top-down? We're talking about that very issue today. And um, I guess one of the big questions that it begs, and we hear this bantied about, this uh, remark regarding the the so-called deep state, that there is this sense of this sort of cloak and dagger nemesis of the people, the shadowy figure that uh, is manipulating everything behind the scenes. And and while that might be the stuff of which good dime store novels are made of, Bob Zadek, I I would suppose the truth is probably uh, far less fascinating, but the results equally as deadly. I I don't like the phrase dark state because I don't think the problem is a sinister cabal meeting in dimly lit basement rooms late at night. Um, Not at all. It's more boring than that. It's when you have thousands and tens of thousands of employees 
who are, to use your phrase, unaccountable. Nobody really cares very much about what they do. They are adequately paid. Uh, they are answerable only to their boss, which means they have to be obedient. And they are protected by, if not by unions, by very strict federal civil service regulations. So they really can't be fired easily. Think of teachers unions as a convenient parallel. So they have, and they have a lot of power. They make decisions. Nobody says you're overreaching. They tend to be populated by often by ideologues. People will work at EPA because they feel passionately about the environment, kind of to their credit. But it's but remember, for every benefit, it must be weighed against the cost. And uh, one of the uh, dynamics in my observation is that uh, once again to quote uh, to quote Jefferson this time it is and I'm paraphrasing not quoting him uh, it is the natural order of things for the power of government to expand and for liberty to recede so every Every, let's go back to Fauci because he's so much in the news. Not because he's the worst offender or there's anything particularly horrible about him. At least that's not my point. There may be, but it's not my point. Uh, but if we use him because everybody has experienced firsthand life under Fauci as the unelected ruler of a lot of our lives, we have, we have Fauci who has made decisions because of public health. Fair enough. But has Fauci ever reached a public health decision that he has said, yes, there is a public health benefit, but the putting this into effect is at the expense of liberty, and the, the loss of liberty is greater than the health benefit. In other words, the weighing of freedom against other possible benefits. After all, remember Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Remember the flag in the founding era, don't tread on me. Those two phrases are laughable today. We we have we are tread on constantly, and we are not given liberty. Uh, it is denied to us liberty that is freedom, freedom to walk in the street, freedom to visit our relatives, freedom to have dinner with our friends, freedom to go to the theater. All of these freedoms have been taken away without any evaluation about is the loss of freedom worse than the possible theoretical incremental health benefit. Let's stipulate there may be a health benefit. What about the weighing of that versus liberty? And what about the choice? In a democracy, we ought to have the choice. Do we want to take a risk, 
or choose a more safe course. That's a personal decision, not a collective decision, so long as we aren't harming somebody else in the process. And so what has happened is when people are unaccountable, when you have people in the administrative branch who do not take an oath to to protect and defend the Constitution, they are just carrying out their silo-constructed worldview, protect the water at all costs, protect uh, health at all costs. That's where it all goes astray, and they're unaccountable. So, as you said in the very introduction to our show, we yearn for a day that we get back into balance. So the vote, by voting one way or another, we can actually have an effect upon our lives instead of having our lives affected by people who are not affected by our vote. I guess this begs the important question, Bob, and that is that how do we go about, well, number one, weaning both Congress and the executive branch off of this this drug called bureaucracy? I mean, they, they've demonstrated more than willingness to abdicate their accountability, their responsibility. They make the laws. They leave it up to the bureaucrats to make the rules. Um, it's a great way to protect themselves or insulate themselves from any uh, sense of direct accountability. Uh, the lack of the system of checks and balances means that oftentimes uh, this fourth branch of government, we'll call it the administrative branch, runs completely unchecked. And there's been very willing, little willingness in Washington, D.C. to try to rein this in. I mean, I, I, I mentioned at the get-go, my goodness, in 34, Roosevelt White House had 165 employees. Uh, the current president has 560, but that doesn't include – that's just those that work directly in the White House. That doesn't include all of this alphabet soup of branches that have been created or sometimes not even created by Congress, created by executive fiat. I mean – you know, we don't have one right now, to my knowledge, but even the notion of um, these so-called czars, and I, I, I think it might have been Bush 41 that, that came up with the first czar that essentially is is effectively a cabinet-level appointee, but unlike a cabinet member who is selected by the president and confirmed by the Senate, is selected by the president, confirmed by absolutely no one, answerable to absolutely no one, and yet given this enormous amount of power. How do we go about uh, curtailing all of that? There, is, there are many solutions. Uh, I have um, always felt there was one solution that dominated the others because it was relatively easy to accomplish. Not easy, but relatively easy to accomplish. And it's consistent with the values of every American. And that is to the extent that power is devolved from the federal government to the states, back to the states where it all started, going back 240 years ago, back to the states. Uh, well, what will that mean? That will mean that some states will have a highly bureaucratic, autocratic government. Think New York, California, Illinois, and the like. And other states will be more free. Think Texas, Florida, Nebraska, uh, states with a more laissez-faire, less intrusive government. And 
we get to decide, obviously, in what state we're going to live. Witness the movement of people, 300,000 New Yorkers left to go to Florida in 2020. People are leaving California. A couple hundred thousand net have left to go to Texas and Salt Lake City. So when you have different forms of government, some highly bureaucratic uh, with less freedom, some the opposite, then it's a done deal, Craig. People vote with their feet, and California, over time, New York, over time, will realize citizens aren't buying what they are selling, and they will change their ways. I have no hope in ballot box voting. I have profound hope in foot voting. When people vote with their feet, everybody is better off. The the legislatures and the governors get the message, and the people who move get to live in exactly the country they want. It is simply freedom to live under the form of government you want. So anything that allows states to have more and more power at the expense of Washington is better off. And also, Craig, if I can, I know we're running out of time. There is one byproduct of increased power to the states. There is, many people believe, there is more animosity, more friction, more polarization in America than ever before. And they might be right, however one measures that sort of thing. But why is there polarization? In my opinion, Craig, there is polarization because if power is mostly in Washington and less in the states, you can't just change countries if you don't like the government. It's too dramatic, which means every federal election if your side loses, you're relegated to living in a form of government you don't like. If the power were in the states, and if you lived in Utah, a relatively free state, and Utah changed, no problem. You wouldn't get angry. You would just screw it. I'm moving to Texas. And you have a solution. But when we live in a country where if the election goes the way you don't like, you have no solution. But to get really angry and perhaps really violent, uh, regretfully, if that's your only solution because you're trapped, it creates animosity. People don't have a choice. If you take away a choice, people get angry. We are accustomed to our freedom. So I say federalism is the mother of all safety valves. Nobody would get upset about New York being a terribly governed state. You would just move. And if you lived in Texas and you saw what New York was doing, you would laugh at them, but you wouldn't be angry because you wouldn't care. The stakes go down with increased federalism. The challenge, of course, is that, you know, while there are a lot of states that are rapidly out of control, uh, California and New York, two classic examples, uh, a lot of this problem, of course, lies at the very top in Washington, D.C. How how do we go about trimming those tails? Well, uh, the way you you do that is, uh, and it's very hard, except by electing people who favor 
power to the states. Now, uh, it's very hard to have Washington, the national government, cede power. It's very difficult. You have to have elected officials who recognize the fact that there is a crucial role of the federal government in our lives, but it is limited. And allow the states, encourage the federal government to give more power to the states. If they want to give money, the money they give is block grants without conditions. So if they, I don't like that, I'd rather they not have the money, the feds not have the money to begin with. But if the feds is going to have a large tax and then have the money go back to the states, it should go back without conditions so states can spend the money as they wish. Some good insights tonight from Bob Zadek. You can catch more Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock, on his syndicated talk show, The Bob Zadek Show. We invite you to tune in, get more information, too. Lots of resources, podcast information about his books. There's also a brand-new report out called The Shallow State, A Skeptic's Guide to the Administrative State. And you can get more information about that, too, all conveniently located on Bob's website at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K dot com. Bob, as always, an education and delight to visit with you and wish you a very happy and wholesome New Year, your wife Anne as well. 601 from KFAX. Let's get you caught up on some traffic. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.